0: everybody, you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast, brought to you by discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and I appreciate you joining me today for this episode. We've been listening to David Roadcup from TCM International, and he's been talking to us about discipling for the purpose of transformation and reproduction. This is actually his fourth and final track session that he gave to us at last year's forum, And there's been some incredible insights in all four of these episodes. So I encourage you, if you're just now joining us, to jump back to episode 13 and start fresh with that episode, with that track session number one. All right, without further ado, let's hear one more time from David Roadcup as he talks to us today about effectively creating personal spiritual transformation in the lives of our church staff, our elders, and finally within our congregation. Enjoy the episode.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see everybody today. My name is David Rodeckup, um, professor of discipleship with TCMI Institute in Indianapolis and also in uh, Vienna, Austria, as our as our uh, overseas campus. <clears throat> Happy to have uh, David Wright here with us in our group today. He's our uh, vice president of operations and um, very close friend. And uh, we're just glad glad you're here. Glad for the opportunity to talk together. Everybody, have an outline get an outline so far. Okay, great. Also, uh, you know, Michael Eagle as well, one of my close friends. And um, most of you probably know Michael. And I did a book for Renew uh, about two years ago on prayer and fasting and um, really enjoying the fact that people seem to be uh, getting something out of that and introducing it to their churches and some very, very positive things. So that's good. Good to have you with us, Michael, for sure. Yeah. Y'all, let's go ahead and uh, pray together, do the most important thing we're going to do. And uh, F- Phil, would you just lead us in a word of prayer? Okay.
0: Well, Father in heaven, we thank you
2: that we're here. We thank you that David's here. We ask mm-hmm. that you could speak to us through this
1: uh, session, that we learn how to uh, best lead ourselves and best lead those around us to be shaped into your image. We pray this <coughs> in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Now I re- realize this is a little bit of a leading question, you all, and probably already know the answer. <clears throat> but I'd like for you to think deeply about this question for just a moment. If I were to ask you, what what is the ultimate goal of the church in the lives of the people that we have coming to our services? <clears throat> the ultimate goal, which would be what? what? What would you think? Yes. Present every man mature in Christ. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Colossians 1, 28, 29. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Anybody else want to take a shot at that? Uh, that, that certainly wasn't wrong, you know, From Dean. We'll just, no, no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll take that, Dean. We'll take that. And adding to what Dean said, anybody. So, so the ultimate goal, somebody says, well, we're, well, baptisms, you know, that tells us a lot. And that does tell a lot. And that's very important, actually. You know, someone might say, well, church attendance... Now, are they here every Sunday? If we can check them off, then, you know, we're, then we're in good shape. And, and I t- you know, coming to the, the body meeting, that's, that's very important. But, but I'd like for you to think along this track. I want you to get up on the bridge of the ship and look out over the deck and everything that's going on, And which I think elders and staff need to do on a regular basis, and just answer this question. Well, what is our ultimate, total, complete goal? Transformation. Yes, thank you very much. It's in one word, transformation of life. And I look through this crowd, and I know a number of you have been in ministry for years. And I just want to begin by testifying that by saying that um, it isn't an easy add water, mix and bake formula that creates that. It's a whole lot easier to have a good group of baptisms. know, It's a whole lot easier to see your attendance climbing on a regular basis. That, that's very positive, you know, to see those things. But talking about the changing of the heart of a human being, you know, as opposed to them just coming to your services. That's another whole, another whole issue. And how does that happen? And of course, you know, the only way that it really happens is by the power of the Holy Spirit coming into a person's life, their baptism, changing them as time goes on. But what I wanted to do was offer a seminar where we talked about that issue, uh, maybe raising uh, our uh, lights to high beam and saying, uh, is there more to it than the normal weekly uh, schedule we have in terms of what we do in the ministry. Uh, is there more to it than that? Should we kind of step back every now and then and say, "Great attendance, which is very healthy. Good offerings, very healthy." The ultimate question, though, is this: Are are the people's lives really changing, for whom I am spiritually responsible? You know, are they really s- seeing trans transformation? And once again, I-, I sat where you where you are sitting for many, many years. And I know the weight of responsibility you know, placed on me as the, an elder in the church or the minister of the church or on staff about the fact that my responsibility is exactly what Dean talked about. You know, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. The fact that on judgment day, I will be required to stand before the Lord and present him my body of work, what, what I accomplished. And Paul says, uh, my ultimate number one goal more than anything else is after preaching Christ, you know, and and leading these people to Christ, that on Judgment Day I may I may present every man, every woman, mature in Jesus Christ, complete in Jesus Christ, and of course that Greek word there is the word teleos. It's a very important word. You can translate it completed or finished. Uh, that's a legitimate translation. The word actually means something has grown to maturity, and it, and it's done. It's ready to be used or it's ready to be consumed. The um, Ancient Romans had a a term. They used the word term "teleos" to describe if you had a bowl of fruit on your uh, on your uh, uh, counter at home, and the fruit was absolutely as mature as as ripe as it possibly could be. I I would think bananas. You know, you know, bananas have a shelf life, and man, they you I mean, they can be really exactly right one day, and the next day. It's banana bread, man. That's all you can use them for. You know, put them in the freezer and, and which, you know. So teleos means the fruit is absolutely perfectly mature for you to eat right at that point. That's the idea. It was also used to describe uh, a woman who was pregnant. The idea that that you can you reproduce after your own kind. You're mature enough to be able to, to reproduce after your own kind. That, that's, that's another load of the word. It was used to describe rabbis and parents and policemen uh, Uh, army officers, uh, those types of things. During the Greco-Roman period, it was used in those areas uh, quite a bit. It's interesting that Paul says, my number one goal is to present everyone for whom I'm responsible, teleos in Jesus Christ, complete and finished in Jesus Christ. Jesus is on the cross. You know, just before he died, he shouts out with a loud voice, scripture says, and says, to telestai, you know, that's that word i telling you, it is finished, it's completed, it's done. And so I would like to just begin by pointing out the fact that um, while we work hard for baptisms and we work hard for good worship services and we do stewardship campaigns, uh, those are all incredibly important things leading, le- leading us to the place we, where we really want to be. And that is the transformation of life in Jesus Christ for every one of our members, every single one, uh, we need, need to go through that. So with that very, very extreme lofty goal, you know, the question is, how do we really do that uh, with our church staff, with the elders of our church and with the congregation at large? How do we really make that happen? So that's kind of a backdrop of where we want to go. I have a definition. When you're teaching on, on these things, you'll always give a definition, always get everybody on the same, exactly on the same playing field. Here's a great definition Spiritual formation is the changing, recreating, and renewing uh, of a person's mind, heart, and spirit becoming the image of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the idea is that we lead people to maturity, to the place where they become exactly like Jesus Christ to so many people around them. That's what we're shooting for, for sure. Um, I just want to make a point here, and I don't mean, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to be observant. Uh, when When I make this thought, I share this thought with you. Uh, I think that one of the things that we get into so often is someone is baptized and uh, they come down the stairs of the baptistry with their hair damp from the baptistry. And down at the bottom of the stairs, we have a preacher, let's say, maybe an elder, uh, some of their family members, some good friends and all. And they come down the stairs and we extend to them, first of all, the right hand of Christian fellowship, wel- welping, welping them into the, into the church, which is appropriate. And we give them their baptismal Bible their name on it, you know, baptismal certificate suitable for framing as well. <laughs> and um, if it's an older church, we say, by the way, here's a box. I think we just call these offering envelopes. And here's your own <laughs> box of offering envelopes. Just to get you started right, you know, for sure. And uh, your Sunday school classroom is r- 103 right down the hall here. It's Sunday morning, nine o'clock. And uh, hey, do you need anything else from us? You know? Okay. Okay. Great. Hey, Get out there and give it to them, you know, and let us know how you're doing, and we'll see you on down the line. And you all, I mean, you do you know what I mean when I say that that's still happening in way too many churches? And here's the statistic. you know if somebody isn't picked up in some way, especially in a relationship, that's the key. You know in a relationship, many, many times, six Sundays after their baptism, they're not even attending worship anymore, you know. And uh, so I've just been on a massive crusade for the last forty years, saying, it isn't rocket science for us to fix that. It really isn't. I, I don't play the, you know, the game with boardwalk and the little pieces and um, Monopoly. Yes, yeah, I don't, don't play that a whole lot. I do know, though, that the very first square in, on a Monopoly board is a great big black arrow you know, pointing this, this direction. This is where you go. And I think there should be a big black arrow down at the bottom of the stairs of the baptistry. So that when a new convert comes out of the baptistry, they come down, they they get, get what we're going to give them. The very first step is laid out to them, you know. And then the next step from there. So you say, okay, well, what would that look like? Uh, just just throwing a number of things out that, that could be used. One of the things a lot of churches use is the idea of a new, new members class, you know, a visitors class, whatever. A six-week study that just continues to rotate. You can jump in and jump out anytime. time. But it's a six-week class that tries to, tries to give basic information about the church, the history of the church. Here's what the church does for you. And here's what we would ask you to do for the church and uh, in staff introductions and you know, just whatever, but some way to get them into a group. And maybe there are a dozen of those people all together. And then we just immediately spawn them off into a small home Bible study group and get, get them connected that way. If you can have somebody come out of the baptistry into a small group of some kind, whatever the nature of the group, your chances of keeping them and seeing them grow are a skyrocket. You know, it's only when they come out and um, there's nothing for them other than to come to church on Sunday. You know, is where, where I think we make our big mistake. So leaving that model and thinking to ourselves, if we had a step-by-step plan laid out, and I want to just mention Rick Lowry and his wife Becky, who are here, who are members of our family—not uh, blood, but everything else. You know, for sure, uh, Rick has. This exact thing we're talking about on paper, and it is really good. Uh, I mean, it's an excellent, excellent uh, approach. And if some way we could put Rick's uh, email address up on the board or something, if you wanted to write him and ask him to send you, send that to us. Can you just scratch that up there, Rick? That'd be great. Uh, uh, He sent this out to... <laughs> he just sent this out three years ago or so, something like that. And uh, I will tell you, I, just, I looked at it, and it's exactly what I teach in a class called Assimilation and Development of Church Members, and a whole assimilation class. And Rick has, has distilled it all down into just a beautiful plan. I'll tell you that if you will use his plan, it works very, very much so. So we get people into some kind of a plan out of the baptistry. You know, after that, then, where do we want to take them? Well, the ultimate goal. And this is not, as you know, not instantaneous or it doesn't happen the first month or even the first year in the life of a person. But we set them on a path. That's the idea. We set them on a path that the staff and elders have agreed on and we help them walk down that path. And as they proceed down that path, they will get their roots deeper and they will grow and they will be relationally connected and, uh, and, and things just, just work incredibly well there. So th- that, that's, where, that's where we want to be. And the main thing we wanted to focus on in terms of our, uh, our, our session here today. So we, uh, under point number two, we see that Jesus talks about this. The Apostle Paul writes extensively about this as well. And I thought I would just go ahead and mention a couple of um, scriptures that really, really support exactly what the purpose of this seminar is. Um, the very first stage I think we need to help people work through and again, this, this takes some time. I don't think this happens, you know, the first week. But it's the idea of helping people understand the key to spiritual formation, which is Luke 9, 23 and 24. You know, j- just that text. Uh, very powerful book of Luke. Jesus says, and this is uh, letter A under Roman numeral 2 in your outline. And Jesus was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. And again, I, I don't want to land on a negative tone on many of the things we talk about. Let me just mention, I rarely ever hear this, this uh, text preached on Sunday morning. I mean, I'm probably in, in 10, 10 to 15 churches a year with a consulting ministry that I have. And rarely is this ever talked about. And I know the sentiment, well, if we hit people with this, you know, how about those on the fringe? How about seekers? Kind of a stark slap in the face you know, if this is your first time here in worship with us. And, and I realize that. I don't think we have to be harsh in preaching and teaching this. I just think we have to be clear, though. We have to be clear you know, that Jesus says, if there's anyone out there listening to my voice, uh, let me share this with you. If you really want to be my disciple, not just a church attender or, or whatever, you grew up going to church, you're going to church as an adult. If you really want to be my disciple, here's what you must do. Uh, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. And those who do this find life and those who don't do this don't find life. And and I think just helping people understand that the key to transformation is dying to myself. That's really the key. I would put it like this. I I am called by Jesus to kill my will and allow the will of Jesus Christ to really take over my life, to kill my will. And helping people understand that, and let me just say that for me, it was a process. You know, when I first learned these words as a teenager, I didn't immediately jump on that and start on it the next week, you know. It was shocking. I mean, very hard very difficult, and it took me really a couple of years before I finally got to the place where in a week of church camp, Bluegrass Christian Assembly, Lexington, Kentucky, you know, on a Thursday night, I I stepped over the line and really, really drove a stake and killed my will and, and asked for the will of Jesus Christ to really come into my life. That's the experience that every one of our church members needs to have. Exactly that. And getting started there is really the beginning. Here's such a great quote. I, I, I was afraid to put this in here because it's so popular and so many people have used it. But I just, I love this. I think this is right on the mar- money. This is from his book, The Joyful Christian. If you haven't read that, but Lewis writes and says, The Christian way is different. It's harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. And I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself and my own will shall become yours. And I just thought that Lewis really understood exactly what Jesus was asking for as he talks about the fact that we die to ourselves, we give up our wills, and allow the will of Jesus Christ to really dominate us. The Apostle Paul clearly got this. and He, he understood multiple times in Paul's writings. And I think this is maybe the clearest one. Galatians 2.20. He writes and says, So I have been crucified with Christ and I am no longer, it is, and, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. You know, pretty clear picture that He understood. I'm dying to myself, living to Jesus Christ. First Corinthians three eighteen again, just a really ba- powerful statement. Paul writes and says, "But we all, with unveiled face, He just talked about Moses." in the veil up on the mountain, you know. We all with unveiled face, beholding as, a, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. If you focus on the word for transformed here, hang on to that word for just a moment and we'll come back to it in, in just a second. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, new creature. Beautiful thought. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Leaving the old, old man of sin, getting the new man in Christ, the new life in Christ. Colossians 3, 9, and 10 also kind of describe this process. Do not lie to one another, since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Laid that aside, done away with that. And having put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. So once again, a description of leaving the old and adopting the new. Probably, I think, the hallmark text to what we're talking about here is Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know, Yeah, it just doesn't get any clearer than this. And there's a little bit of Greek going on here I'd like to introduce you to if you haven't, haven't had this background to this point. <clears throat> Paul has two, two verses basically here. He's talking about him. He has just done 11 chapters of theology. This is what Paul does. He lays the theology out first, then he does the application. So he's just done eleven chapters of theology about grace and the Old Testament law and all of those things. And he gets to chapter 12, verse one. and he says, "Therefore, in light of eleven chapters of theology, therefore he says, I urge you." And the words, the words here, the word here for urge, it isn't just encouraging someone to do something, it's someone who is on their knees, You know, with red face, pleading with someone to please, please understand this. It's a hyper Greek word here in terms of the text. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God. I I want you to just think about that phrase for a minute. I'm asking you to do something by the mercies of God, you know, uh, as adds another layer there. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now, in this text, Paul uses all kinds of Roman sacrificial terminology. I mean, the Romans had many, many gods and did much sacrificing. And Paul, to communicate with them, uses their verbiage here. You know, the things that they would say in the pagan world, he actually hijacks those words and uses those here. And presents your body as a living and holy sacrifice. Under the idea of living, let me mention to you that Jesus Christ was the last dead sacrifice that God required. Last one. Up until this point, every bird, every oxen, every sheep, every lamb, all had one thing in common. Their life was taken. And, and you took the entire, uh, sa- the entire animal to the, to the priest and offered it. It was impossible for me to go to the priest and say, I have a lamb here. I just want to sacrifice the front half. Okay, I want the back half back. You know? Well, the priest would have said, well, it actually doesn't work that way. You know, if you want to sacrifice the lamb, you can. Um, But he he says living, you know, Jesus Christ, the last dead sacrifice. Paul is saying here, God no longer, after the cross, wants dead sacrifices. He wants sacrifices that sing and that pray and that serve and that love and that put themselves second. He wants living sacrifices, acceptable to God in terms of God okaying the sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. And this phrase is so loaded, we won't take time. But what, what that means is, after you become transformed, everything you do is an act of worship. You know, I mean, your life to Jesus Christ is your act of worship. So doing dishes is an act of worship. You know, changing a flat tire, going to work, is an, everything that you do is an act of worship, really. Your spiritual service of worship. And then he shifts gears and he says, and do not be conformed to this world. This is in the imperative tense. Paul is not saying, I'd like to make a suggestion to you that would really help you out. Can I just maybe offer the idea of becoming a living sacrifice? You know, he doesn't say that. He says, I am raising myself up in all of my apostolic authority. And I am commanding you not to be conformed to the world. You know, uh, brothers and sisters, I'm just telling you, we need to preach that in our churches. I mean, I'm not trying to be harsh or unkind. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm telling you that our ministers need to stand up and get a backbone, you know, seriously, a serious backbone and be willing to speak out. I'm using Matthew right now with my D group going through the book of Matthew. And one of the things that I loved about a chapter we've already been through is John the Baptist, whose model was John simply stood up and told the truth and called it for what it was. And uh, it made it very clear. And the Lord spoke into my heart on the day I was reading that and said, "Dave, you know, you 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 need to do that more." And what I found is, you don't have to be harsh, or you don't have to be angry. As I mentioned, you just have to be clear, you know, about exactly what's happening, um, uh, what we need to say to people, to warn them, and things like that. We just need to communicate that that very much. So He says. He says, so do not be conformed to the world, he says, but be transformed, be transformed. And how are we transformed? By the renewing of our minds, by the rebirthing of our minds. Now, if you cir- circle the word there in your outline for transformed, it's really an interesting word. You will recognize the word from sophomore biology class in high school. Let me just pr- i pronounce the actual word that's used in the text there. Here it is. metamorphosis. <laughs> metamorphosis, he says, metamorphosis. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be totally changed. Here's the key. In your nature. In your nature. Be transformed. So we have a caterpillar. You know, you know the life of a caterpillar, I kid you not, is miserable. You know, you are ugly and tied to the floor of the forest, always in danger. You know, uh, being stepped on or being eaten by a bird, something like that. It's a miserable, miserable way to live. Uh caterpillar, at a certain stage, goes to the tree, climbs up to the first limb, goes out a little bit, and starts spinning a cocoon from the bottom up, is how they do, all the way, spins it all the way to the top and closes it, and is encased in that, that, uh, that, that uh, uh, um, thank you, just lost it, encased in, the, in that cocoon. After a gestation period of about two weeks, you know, out comes a beautifully magnificent magnificent, transformed butterfly. No longer ugly. That's something. No longer tied to the floor of the forest with unbelievable freedom. Unbelievable freedom. You know, and that's exactly the word Paul uses when he says, you, you be transformed. And, and that comes through the renewing of your mind. Now, I know you're going to think I'm a massive restorationist when I bring this up, but I believe this, really. I, I think the cocoon there represents what? Anybody want to take a shot? The cocoon represents yes thank you yeah yeah our baptism you know totally encased and so forth and the process takes place while they're in the in the cocoon i know somebody might say now you're uh, in the theology world that's called eisegesis you know where you're adding Mm -hmm. to the text but i but i think i think it could work for sure So you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he goes on, of course, finishes his thought here. What you all do, we get, get a picture of what God is thinking about when he's talking about us being transformed. You know, here's the bottom line. My heart and my nature are changed to mirror the behavior and life and words of Jesus Christ. You know, that's what it comes down to, that my life is dramatically changed, transformed from my old life in sin to my new life in Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm really changed. And that's the whole point of transformation I wanted us to talk about today and try try to really uh, consider it and apply it to our lives and to our churches.
0: Hey, let me interrupt for just a second so that you can hear a brief message from our sponsors. Here they are.
3: Wouldn't it be great if someone who knew what they were doing, who actually had proven results, would just share with you exactly how to make disciples? Hi, I'm Doug Burrier, a decision scientist and a real-life disciple maker. This year, I'm discipling six of my neighbors. That's crazy. They don't even go to our church. My friends and I made 1,392 disciples last year. So if you're tired of hearing the same old blog and keynote messages, droning on about the why, the need, and the theory, I want to invite you to hear the simple how-tos that have bunches of churches and hundreds of people making thousands of disciples all around in the world. How to recruit, how to get them to love reading the Bible, how to transform them, how to run a meeting, like a real proven agenda, how to make individual disciples in a group setting, how to give people the wonderful, abundant life that God promised them. This is what I found in Sustainable Discipleship. It's not materials. It's not another program. It's a simple, repeatable set of how-tos. If you're ready for something proven, practical, and different, visit sustainable-discipleship.com. That's sustainable-discipleship.com. The team will be happy to share with you everything God shared with them.
1: All right, let's get back to the episode. And let's go to, room, uh, to number three, uh, Roman numeral number three. What brings about spiritual transformation? Uh, this is, again, this is not rocket science if you just go through Scripture and see what's written there, figure out basically what's going on. But um, uh, uh, Scripture tells us that the movement of the Holy Spirit in the life of a man or a woman, uh, as we exercise our faith, is what really is behind the actual transformation process. you know? So which is it? I mean, do we control the transformation or do, does the Holy Spirit control the transformation? Well, I think it has to be both for sure. I mean, we have a desire that we want to live in Christ and know Him. And so we want to be transformed. And the Holy Spirit responds to our desires and begins to work in our lives and bring about the transformation. I'd like to remind you once again, that it is a process, it isn't instantaneous. I remember the night that I really committed my life to Christ at church camp. It took me a good six months to get any kind of real sea legs under me, you know. Uh, I did go back to high school. I played football back in those days. And we had two days, you know, middle of middle of um, August. And uh, I just remember going back after after that experience and my heart and my mind were really different, seriously. I, I had really made a huge step in the right direction. And we're driving. My, my mother was driving me to football practice. And I remember praying and saying, God, you know, I just love you so much. I love this new life. I know, love this experience. I love what I'm getting. I love the incredible peace that I've never had before like I have right now. You know, amazing peace in my heart and in my life. I want to ask you this, though. I, my legs are so wobbly Please don't make me stand up and, you know, say anything religious or testify or anything like that in the locker room because that's, that doesn't happen there. So just get me through this first couple of weeks here without having to, you know, really say something Christian or whatever, you know, just, just get me through. So we went out that morning and practiced, had lunch, and we were getting dressed to go out in the afternoon. <clears throat> and Eddie Barlow, uh, one of my closest friends, uh, told a really, really horrible, unseemly, dirty joke. And everybody, of course, started laughing. And I just thought to myself, you know what? Um, this is it. You make up your mind. What do you want to do here? Do you want to fall back or do you want to go ahead and do this? And so I just, I just was over there at my locker. Uh, I just didn't laugh. Just kept getting dressed. And one of the guys said, hey, Road Cup, what's wrong? Don't you get it? And, and I said... I, I thought we had a deal. I'm serious. I, I asked you not to let this happen. And I thought, you know what? I have nothing to lose. Uh, I said, you guys, I went to a week of church camp this summer, and I, and I became a Christian. I accepted Christ as my Savior. You know, and man, it just got dead silent. You know, And um, somebody said, hey, we have a preacher on our team. You know? So everybody had a nickname that year, and my nickname was Deacon. You know, it was Deacon Road Cup. And at first it bothered me. Uh, after a while, though, I, I came to li- like it. I, I really did. It, it symbolized something in my life, you know. Uh, so the idea that, um, that we, genu- gen- we genuinely go through this process as we seek faith and the Holy Spirit responds and says, yes, let's start this process. You come out of the cocoon and we're going to begin processing your heart and your words and your attitudes and your habits and, and all of those things. And that's certainly what we want for everyone. So please, let me just really emphasize here that the work of the Holy Spirit is a huge part of spiritual transformation. And calling Him into our church, calling Him into what we're doing, is very important. Secondly, understand that it is a process, which we've, we've talked about. It just takes time. Um, it was really six months after that week of church camp that I really began to get momentum, get my sea legs, and uh, take some things out of my life that needed to be taken out and put some things in that needed to be be put in for sure. Let me just also mention a huge research project was done at Willow Creek Church up in Chicago. It's probably been now, I'd say what 10 years ago, something like that, where they brought in a really high powered uh, uh, investigation group and they analyzed Willow Creek Church from stem to stern. And they pronounced Willow Creek Church to be a failure after 30 years. Uh, that they had not done what they were, were needing to do, and and Bill Hybels stood up in a in a crowd and said, "This this experiment has not worked. It's been a failure." What uh, the investigation group found out was that people loved the show on Sunday morning, you know, and and they would give money, you know, but the idea first of all of volunteering, number one, and the idea of living a Christ-like life outside the walls of the church. Uh, was really, really lacking in, in the lives of so many of their people. <clears throat> and so they wrote a book on this called MOVE, M-O-V-E. And I'd really recommend that you buy that book if you want to talk about discipling and assimilating people and how to do that and what it looks like. And, um, and here's what they, came, what they came and said uh, finally in the book. They did a, a pamphlet on it, and then they did the book. And they said, Here, here's what we know. The number one most impacting significant factor in generating transformation of life in people is a daily exposure to the Word of God. It's the number one thing. It's more important than anything else, exposure to Scripture. So we say to ourselves, okay, how about my church? You know, how about my congregation? When I look at the people who are there on Sunday morning, how are we doing in terms of encouraging them to be in the Word every day and, uh, and to grow and to make the Word a big part of their lives. How do we make that happen? And there are all kinds of ways to do it. You know, encouraging people with Bible reading programs. I mean, I th- that's wonderful. I've had t- tons of people tell me, yeah, I started reading the Bible every day from something they handed out at church. And I, I said in a public meeting, you know, y'all, I don't like this read through the Bible in a year thing. You, know, you read a chapter from Genesis, one from Psalms, one from Nehemiah, and one from Revelation read four chapters a day, all the way through the Bible in a year. I said, I, I, I just can't do that. It's so disjointed and, and c- commoperated. I, I, I don't know why we would ever do that. <laughs> as soon as I got done, a woman came up out of, the, off, out of the audience and said, I've been doing that for the last nine months, and it changed my life. Mm. And I said, well, that's what I was trying to say. Yes, I mean, that's, <laughs> it is. It's very good. So I learned to say there are several approaches out there several approaches, and don't, don't poo-poo any of them. I mean, let people do what they want to do, you know, that kind of a thing. But, but, uh, just, but just do
0: something.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, that's it. Just yes, do Just do something. Yeah. So in the um, discipling relate- ministry that, uh, that I work in in our church, and Rick is my director and guide for that. I'm under his umbrella and protection. Um, uh, the, the thing that we've stumbled onto with the, the groups that I've talked about before is that— um, the men in my D group for this year read one chapter of Scripture every day for 10 months. And then they read they read a chapter of Scripture and then they answer two Discovery Bible questions. And Their forms, there's a notebook, their forms, they all have, have it say, read the same day, read the same Scripture. The first question is, uh, what was the main thing God spoke to me about in this chapter? Question number two, how is this going to affect my daily life? And... Uh, uh, I'm just telling you that the reports I get from their wives, you know, from other people seeing seeing their lives change. I'm just telling you that getting people into the Word of God every day. So the guys in our D groups, uh, the ones that I work with, are in reading one chapter of Scripture straight through the holidays. You know, they always say, "Can we take Christmas off?" You know, that week? No, uh -uh, no, you're you're on all the way through, and for ten months they read a chapter of Scripture every day. I was at a funeral. Um, about six months ago. And um, the funeral was for the mother-in-law of a guy in my D group. And we were there and a lot of his friends were there. And um, uh, we'd had the service. We were were having lunch there together. And then uh, people were starting to leave and lunch was over and so People were just sitting around talking. And um, um, the guy in my D group and his wife her mother who had passed away, both just kind of got up from the table and started mixing with friends and people who were there at the funeral and all. And the only person left with me at the table was the best friend of this guy in my D group from college. His college roommate, best friend in the entire world, was there and played the organ for the service. And, and it was just him and I there at the table. And, and this, this is the best friend of the guy in my D group. He, he leaned over to me and he said, I want, I want to just ask you about something. And I said, yeah, what, what, what is it? And he said, well, I have known this guy, you know, for 30 years. And he is the best friend uh, on the whole earth that I have. So I know him. We room together. I know him well. Um, he said, about six months ago, I said to him, uh, what, what is up with you? And he said, well, what do you mean, what's up with me? And he said, he said you, you, you're different. You're different. Your attitude is different. Your spirit is different. I just catch something coming out of you that's different. And uh, I, I don't know. Tell me. Tell me. What, what are you doing? And he said, I am in a Bible study with David Roadcup once a week and six other guys. And uh, we're reading scripture. And uh, even after growing up in a minister's home, uh, when, you, when you're in scripture every day, it, it starts doing things to you. And uh, I've just decided that I needed to change some things and change some attitudes that I had. And, uh, and, and it's really uh, being in the Word every day is pr- doing these changes, you know. And that's basically what's up with me. And so the guy, his friend tells me that story. And he said, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for investing in this guy. And you all, I, can I just tell you this? I'm preaching to the choir. You all, there is power in the Word of God. I'm just telling you, there's incredible power in the Word of God to transform people and to change them. Now, the question is this. In your church, in your context, how can you get your people into the Word of God on a regular basis? And there are 20 answers for that. Maybe all of them right. But can I just lodge that in your thinking? How is it that we can get people into the Word of God? However we can do that. It is very critical. The whole idea of fellowship and community, of course, I guarantee that no one will grow to maturity in their faith without being in a community, without being relationally connected to other Christians who are farther along than they are. I mean, everybody needs that to grow for sure. Let me just mention also the the idea of obedience. It's a big, big issue here. The fact that we are obedient to the Lord and uh, to what He's asked us to do. Service and ministry. When you involve people in service, here's what we know for a fact. Number one, um, people... Do an emotional buy-in to the church; they emotionally buy-in to the system. Secondly, they begin giving financially. Those two things happen for sure. The, the personal discipline, the spiritual disciplines and practices—there's all kinds of material out that you know get, get them in those for sure—and you can see all kinds of inter, a, a, amazing things. In recognizing um, spiritual transformation, uh, there are some things that you can you can look for. How do you know? It's just a, a change of life that people have. They, they change their vocabulary. You know, they change their attitudes. They change how they treat people, how they spend their money many times. I have just got a list here that you can check out and to see. Uh, I think that letter H may be significant here. The idea of deep calls to deep. You know, the idea is this, that I think that there is a spirit connection between people who are believers in Christ. And the Psalmist says, you know, deep calls to deep. Heart, hearts call to one another. Have you ever met anybody, first time, spent half an hour with them and said to yourself, you know, I know that person's a believer. I know they are. That's what this is. You know, And when you begin getting that from, from your church, very good. And we want to move on and talk about staff and, and elders experience. And I've got a number of things here, but I have asked Rick Lowry to come and, and spend some time on this with me. Rick is discipling the... Um, Younger staff members in our church. We pre-COVID were at 2,400, Rick, something like that, that ballpark, 2,800. Yeah, and now are we running 18, 19? Okay, about 2,000. So, so we we have a lot, a lot of you know a lot of folks around and so forth. A lot of younger staff, and Rick is uh, dis- is discipling formally. An identifiable group of our younger staff members. I just want him to come and share with you what he's doing. So I'm going to have him come up for a few minutes and uh, just just talk about that.
2: So uh, when I when I interviewed way back when I interviewed at First Church 11 years ago, um, I, I just kind of issued a little challenge to the other pastors during the interview. We were because we'd been talking about. What it would take to get small groups going at the church, just getting getting members of the church to take interest in small groups and, and what to do there. Um, so I just also said to pick the opportunity just to say to the other pastors, like, and and what about you? Like, what would it take for you to move to your next level in terms of your relationship to Christ? Um in spite of the fact that I asked that question, they hired me, and uh, no one was offended by that. In fact, immediately after, one of, one of the guys, uh, Darren Moranti, uh, came up to me. And he was the young adult pastor at the time. He has now become our lead pastor and has been for about six years now. But um, he, uh, he came up and just said, um, I want to follow up on what you said. When you get here, would you mentor me? So we did that for um, every, about two years. We met every other week. And, uh, and just started doing that. Of course, we were working together. And, and, uh, and so we did, the two of us did that. And then about two years in, uh, all in the space of about a month, four other young guys on staff came to me independently and said, I really would like it if you would mentor me. So um, I said, like, okay, God, I can see you're up to something here, but I can't, like, do all of these guys individually. So how about if we make a group out of it? And uh, and that's what we did, and so I've actually I've actually been doing this group now for eleven years ever since I got there, um, but uh, uh, right now we have uh, seven seven guys in the group who are uh, young guys on staff. Uh, the constituency has varied over the years depending on how many young guys there were on staff, and uh, people you know people come and go, and so we. We add, and kind of at this point, it's it's kind of an understood thing that if you if you're young and you come on staff, uh, you're automatically invited to Rick's D group. So we we just understand that together. Uh, For you ladies, just to know, Gina Duggar, who uh, works with women a lot on our group staff, also does the same thing for staff women. So we're we're focusing on that side of it too. Um, But um, I just really commend uh, these guys in this discipling group for their humility. Um, you know, it would be easy for them to say, ah, you know, we're pastors, like we don't really need anybody mentoring us. Um, instead, they come with this humble attitude. They, um, you know, just saying, God, how do you want me to grow as a leader, as a Christian man, as a, as a, as a new husband, as a young father? What do, you, what do you have to teach me about that? And they come with this humble attitude. Uh, we meet every other Tuesday from 12 to one30 um, I thought it was important like to get away from the, the sterile office environment, and so our house uh, uh, is uh, um, about five minutes from the church building, and uh, so this is also a way to make sure that we clean the house at least every two weeks, and this works out good for us. Um, so, so we do, uh, we, do uh, uh, we call it B-Y-O-L, bring your own lunch, and uh, we gather around our uh, uh, big dining room table there and have lunch. And then we, um, we retire to the family room for brandy and cigars. N- none of us actually smoke or drink, but I don't know where, somewhere in the course of the script, that became the way to refer to moving over to the family room, so we would, would have our discussion. So brandy and cigars. Um, uh, as with all of our um, uh, discipling endeavors, I think we, we, I mean, we do study, we study together. Uh, it, it's not the most important aspect of the group, especially for guys who do a lot of studying already anyway for stuff related to, to being a pastor. Uh, but just to mention, like for the study element, we have done, uh, like we worked our way through Bible books right now. We're doing uh, first Timothy, um, uh, spiritual books that challenge us to a, a deeper walk. Um, for instance, uh, we recently did the disruptive witness by, uh, by Alan Noble, um, we, we pull like current articles out of things like Christianity Today for issues, cultural issues that are going on, leadership issues that are going on. We read the article ahead of time and come ready to, to discuss how it might apply to us and, and our situation. Um, last year, we did the, the obligatory Mars Hill uh, podcast to do a couple of, a couple of procession and, and, and discuss those. Just whatever gets us into the latest ideas about church or leadership or moving to a deeper walk with Christ um, but, so that's the kind of study stuff we do, but as important as that is, um, I really place a high value on relationships in this group. And um, of course, we, we do that focus of making ourselves accountable uh, for, for what we're doing. We do set spiritual, individual spiritual goals, and we have ways of making ourselves accountable for those each year. Uh, we do set goals for memorizing scripture. We do those sorts of things. But just the whole relational aspect, um, and and we develop those, I don't think of this as a meeting. We're we're developing those relationships inside and outside the church. It's a 24-hour thing that we're doing. It's a lot easier because we see each other a lot because we're working together. It's a little harder since COVID. People aren't at the office as much, uh, but, you know, we make that work. We figure out how to make that work, do things together outside the office. Um, but we just have that special connection that we we keep and, and maintain and stay in touch with each other. And um, those relationships are ones where we talk about real stuff, um, the hard struggles of life and ministry. Um, and uh, as we're doing that, I just love it when I see like the lights go on for those guys that oh, I'm not alone on this. You know, everyone else who ever did ministry has been through a situation like this. And uh, just being able to help them have that assurance and, and have some support from, a, from other community of leaders there. So um, that's like a quick synopsis of, of what we do with the, sta- the Staff D Group, as it is known. And um, I just wanted to, to throw just a little challenge out about this. Um, and I would say to you, even though I lead uh, uh, this small group program that probably has a couple thousand people in it, this discipling group is the most important thing that I think I'm doing in my ministry. Um, I'm I'm 66. Uh, about 15 years ago, uh, I came to the conviction that that my role now is to get uh, my resources and my experience behind the young church leaders coming up, and just do whatever I can to make them successful. Because I remember when I was young, that's a lot of remembering to do for me, has way back there, um, but I remember when I was young, we were trying to make things change, to make the gospel more accessible in, in our generation. Uh, we were We were dealing with things like there are other Christian songs besides the ones in the hymn book. Uh, you know, there, there are other instruments God can use for worship besides the piano and organ. Those were some of the issues of, of our generation. And, and I wanted to make sure I mentioned in this setting here, uh, those were also the days when, I, when, when, believe it or not, a young leader named David Roadcup got into a lot of trouble with a lot of church leaders for promoting a radical new idea, discipling. Yeah, so that's a great story. I get Dave to tell that to you. It's a good history to know in the back of your mind about about what's happened over time here. Uh, You know, and so there we were trying to change it. Even though we made those those changes um, um, imperfectly and we implemented them imperfectly, Um, eventually it happened. And so now we're all going to go back over to a main session here today and listen to some really great worship music and have a really rich experiential thing going on with worship. And that's every time I'm in a place, come come to a place like this and do this, that's rewarding for me. I remember when we couldn't do that. And so it's really fun to see it. But it only happened because some older folks in the 1970s and 80s Um, we're willing to to let go of some of their control and allow us to experiment with our new ideas. And I believe that that a future is coming um, sooner than we probably would like it to, uh, that we're going to need a very different kind of church uh, than the ones we have today, mostly in the suburban United States, um, if we're going to reach the culture effectively. In our church, we have some really sharp, talented, godly young pastors who can see how to do that. And um, they have some amazing ideas about how to create that kind of church. And so now it's my turn to do what those experienced Christians did in the 70s and 80s and help them spread their wings and try out those new things and make the same kind of mistakes that we made, but, but get there. And, um, and I, I want to do this group to, to, just to stay in relationship with these young men. They keep me young. I, get, I know what's going on out there when, when I'm in relationship with them. But um, just lending my resources, my experience in, in whatever way is helpful. And, um, and also, it's just like I don't do it for this reason. It's like far down on the list. But when I've got this ongoing relationship going with this guy's, They also ask me regularly for input about the stuff they're doing, and I get a chance to help them avoid some goofy mistake I made 45 years ago or something. Um, So just a challenge to you, maybe you're in a position like I am, that you're in the second chair in some way at a church, um, and you can do some discipling with the younger staff. Um, Just work that with the senior minister and all the elders and all the appropriate people. Um, And I just want to say to anyone here who's, who's a lead pastor, um, Just a challenge to go beyond um, the program, the church business, the administration of programs, the monthly evaluations, um, all those things that have to happen in a larger organization. But just go from that to a personal relationship um, where you are intentionally sharing your real life, your uh, real leadership experience with with the young people that you're working with on staff. And I can guarantee you it will reap some great uh, spiritual benefits, both for your church uh, and for those guys.
1: Well, as we come down to the end of our time, let me just mention a couple of other things, too, that are on the list here. You could take a look at um, when we're talking about staff and elders. Actually, many of the items are pretty similar. Uh, They all work together and you do them with staff and you do them with elders. But here's kind of the essence of what I would talk about Um, the modeling and Example of the senior staff members is critical to the younger younger guys. It really is. Uh, when I was uh, starting out in youth ministry, the pre- prevalent attitude was, we hire youth ministers, but they're a bunch of clowns. You know, they really are. They're goof-offs, and, uh, and that that's exactly how a lot of us in those earlier years uh, perceived how we were being connected to the church. And... Um, uh, luckily, that's really changed dramatically. There's so many older guys my age who understand that you mentor those younger staff members, not uh, not deride them for sure. So the modeling of the senior staff, I think when you're interviewing staff, that's a very key point. I would try to find out about their spiritual lives, about where they are in, in their relationship to Christ. And there are questions that you, that you can ask and spending time with the new guy and his wife or husband you know, being male or female, staff member. uh, uh, Whenever we hired a new staff member when I was preaching, we would always have the guy come and stay with his wife at our house for the first night uh, and then put him in a motel. But we just wanted to spend an evening with them, have breakfast together, get to know them, and just observe where they were, where they were coming from, and so forth. Staff meetings are a great, great way to do this, and elders' meetings as well. Uh, When I was involved with Promise Keepers years ago, I was on the the board and we had three board meetings a year and it was unbelievable. Board meetings were uh, 24 hours altogether. Uh, We would meet in the evening and have dinner together. Our first two hours of the board meeting was nothing but singing and reading scripture to one another and exhorting one another, sharing our lives together. And I I still to this day remember how feeding that was to my spirit, how that nurtured me to go there and, uh, and have that experience. So turning some of our staff meeting time or a special, I know that larger churches have chapel for their staffs, you know, things like that. I mean, however we can play into the spiritual lives of of our, our, our staff. Let me just mention that creating what I would simply call a content culture among your elders and your staff, create a reading culture, start a reading culture and encourage my staff and encourage my elders to read or to watch, uh, watch uh, videos or blogs or, or whatever it might be. But making that part of the process, I would definitely have a couple of uh, conferences a year made available to all of my staff and all of my elders at church expense. I would encourage all of my staff members to go to at least two meetings a year somewhere and get their wells filled up. There's something that uh, Rick and I share together. It's called a day away. We do it on different days. But we take one day a month and go away to a monastery. We just have the whole day in prayer, journaling, fasting, solitude, quiet, uh, speaking to the Lord. And uh, and so in my last preaching ministry, uh, we actually made it a requirement that every staff member take one day a month. And go to a quiet place and meet with the Lord there, just uh, building into their lives, giving them the opportunity to grow. I would do a staff retreat twice a year, and I would do an elders retreat twice a year also, and uh, just spend that entire time working on their spiritual lives, encouraging them, sharpening them in their leadership abilities, uh, whatever it might be. There's the formal discipling that Rick has talked about. Uh, why would we not do that? You've got a seasoned veteran on a large church staff, uh, what better person could they have to be training and developing them than someone who's in the very same field they're in and knows their life and could really speak into that uh, so much so. And with elders, almost exact, just exactly the very same thing. It's simply this. It's taking content and encouragement and support and just really putting those into an arrangement where we're ministering to our staff in a proactive way and, and encouraging our elders in a proactive way is something. And we may adjust it as time goes on and, and change things. But the fact that we are concerned about developing our staff and elders is very important. I want to mention something about young staff in the church. Uh, I want to tell you that when you hire a young staff, hire a guy 24 right out of Bible college, he does have a degree. But let me tell you what he really needs. He needs a lot of support and a lot of love, a lot of, a lot of coaching, a lot of encouragement, a mentor to walk with him through those first number of years and help him get his, uh, help him get his sea legs under him. You know, it's very, very important for sure. And so why is all of this important for staff and elders? And I have it, have it listed here. It is impossible, brothers and sisters, for me to lead anybody to places where I have never been myself. That's the bottom line. I can't feed people if I'm starving to death in my own right. I know that I can't lead people to powerful spiritual living if I am not living powerfully spiritually myself. And so for us to lead by example, all of these things need to be folded into, into, into where we are. So you all, the ultimate goal, remember, the ultimate goal is spiritual transformation. And I know it's really hard and I know it's tough, but let me tell you, there are sources for us to use and prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is absolutely possible to help vast numbers of, our, of the people in our churches to grow to a dramatic level in their spiritual lives. Do you have any questions or comments about anything we've talked about? Anything that you've tried that has really worked well for you and your church or your, your journey at all? Please, the thing that's please in
2: my mind is just each one reach one. I mean, we all have to reach someone, because mm-hmm. sometimes it can be overwhelming. Like we have to have this big thing, when sometimes even the small things, you know, can reach
3: someone.
1: Can work, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And given a a larger church's arrangement, wouldn't it be incredible if all, every young staff member were given uh, given a, a mentor and a coach? from the staff to work with them. I know we're talking about a lot of arrangement here, but but where that would be so powerful and so positive, and maybe even involving their wives in that also would be very, very good, yeah. Yes, sir. It's,
2: it's just so easy to assume that in, because after all, as pastors, you're in a, a spiritual profession, right? It's just so easy to assume that everybody on staff is up to the, is is at their optimal spiritual level. It's yeah. easy to assume that, and then you add to that mix the congregation It tends to put you up on that spiritual pedestal okay. mm-hmm. and treat you as though you're the spiritual, you know, guy. Um, it's easy to fake it sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. easy to fake it sometimes, and and if you're not doing some of those proactive things.
1: Um, you get away with it for a, a while, for a while, but then it begins to show up. It, it's a very it's interesting in, yeah. how easy it is to assume just because you're in a spiritual position, you're
2: teaching after all, you're, you're doing all of that stuff, you're preaching and I'm teaching. Um, but it ain't necessarily so.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a very insightful comment. It truly really is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Anything else, anyone? When I when I come to a session like this, I say to myself, you know what? If I can get one or two really good pieces to carry away, it's been worth my time, and I hope it's been that way for you this afternoon, you all. Yeah, enjoy our last session today, and please drive safely or fly safely getting home. Okay, God bless you all. Yeah, good, good, good to be with you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the episode. I hope that David really encouraged you in the last four episodes in a big way. I'm not sure where we're headed next. We've got a few more track sessions to work our way through from last year's forum. So if you haven't already, please click the subscribe button to this channel so that you know each time I release new episodes. All right, y'all. I hope to catch you on the next episode. Enjoy your day.